This podcast is brought to you by NetBank. Whether you're thinking of franchising your business, buying into or revamping your franchise, stay tuned for tips on how to grow your brand and portfolio. Welcome to the first of a series of podcasts on franchising powered by NetBank. Today, we will be interviewing Anita Detoy from Franchising Plus on what franchising is and why it's become such a popular business format worldwide. Hi, Anita. Hi, Vendita. Franchising Plus is a specialist franchising consultancy that assists brands to develop optimal expansion models and implement all phases of franchising. It also assists in reviewing existing operations to pinpoint shortcomings and offer advice on addressing these. Anita, so if a business wants to franchise, how would you assess what qualifies it as a franchise? So we look for a number of things, but the first thing that we look for is whether you can teach somebody to run this business. Is the skill transferable? And then we look for the potential to establish a brand because franchising is very closely associated with good brands. And of course, the franchisee and the franchisor must have the ability to get get a good return on investment. So in, in your experience, if you've got that transfer of skill and a brand and, and the financial criteria all, all are good, are there different businesses that really can be or more franchisable than others? So, you know, I think it's all about systemization in franchising. So we, we look for a business that has a recipe that we can replicate easily. To use an example, let's compare a fine dining establishment to a quick service restaurant. In a fine dining establishment, you have a chef who may have a bit of a mood swing on a day and, you know, on that day decide what he wants to do in terms of the menu that day. Quick service restaurants are all about a standardized offering. The consumer knows what to expect and therefore, you know, they have a following. Um, So, and it's easy to spot that franchise. You know what they look like. They've got the same brand. They've got the same look and feel. And that is really how we can differentiate something that is franchised versus a standalone kind of concept that will be very difficult to replicate. So what you're really saying is consistency? Um, that consistency is important. Is that in all aspects of the business? Absolutely. Um, So you need that consistency and uniformity uh, right from the brand and the experience then that the consumer has when they enter the establishment. So they they know what to expect um, and that's part of the success of it. So that's why franchises can replicate so easily because the experience gets transferred from one location to the next. Fascinating. And what differentiates um, a franchised business from other independent businesses? So like we were saying now, you know, you've got that uniformity and you've got a standardized offering. So the products and services are the same. You know, if you go to an ocean basket, you're going to have the same experience whether you're in Johannesburg or Worcester in Cape Town, you can get that hake and chips and you know that that's what you expect. Why are franchises considered to be a lower risk as an investment? I understand that is the case from a 
funder's point of view, from the point of view of the franchisee or potential franchisee who wants to start a new business? Well, first of all, it's very important that we have a proven business model that is franchised. So the franchisor cannot franchise an idea. They have to run the business, they have to show that it makes profit, and they have to show that there is consumer acceptance for it. So then, on an ongoing basis, um, this head office or franchisor needs to support the franchisee. So in franchising, we see that ongoing support. We see initial and ongoing training um, that helps the franchisee to understand how to run the business and to stay sharp in how they deliver that business offering to customers. And then, of course, as we said, we've got consumer support because they know what they're going to get. Are there specific costs that the, our audience should be aware of that are not typical in a, in a normal independent type of business, but that you will experience having to pay in a franchise business? So in franchising, you can expect three very definite streams of fees that you're going to pay. So there's what we call an initial fee or an upfront fee or a franchise fee. And that is basically what you pay for joining the system. After that, you pay a royalty, which is usually a percentage of sales on a monthly basis. And you also pay a contribution towards marketing. The other thing that um, differentiates franchises from doing, let's say, a startup business is the fact that you might have to spend more money initially on things like store build because the franchisor will have definite standards, brand standards, um, store build standards that they want to be replicated. And it might cost you more than it would if you started your own outlet. What would you advise our listeners to look out for in terms of identifying what is a good franchise? So first of all, you're looking for brand strength and support. So it's obvious uh, when you look out there, you see what the successful franchises are because people are queuing out the door for things like Rockamamas, uh, Sorbet, you know, it's difficult to get an appointment, those kind of brands. So you look for brand strength and support. But then also, very importantly, the franchisor needs to support the franchisees on an ongoing basis. The best way to find out whether that is so is to ask existing franchisees. Go and speak to them and find out if they are happy with the franchisor support that they get. We also see that good franchisors do their best to get their franchisees the best possible deals. So they don't make undue profits from supplying the franchisee, but rather they look to get good deals from suppliers through collective buying. And importantly, good franchises don't close a lot of stores. So we're looking for minimal store closures and that's how we know that it's a good franchise. How does franchising in South Africa compare to franchising in the rest of the world? So, you know, ever since I've been in franchising, which is over 20 years now, scarily enough, um, we've had this number that, that we've been referring to where we say that franchising com- contributes between 12 and 13 percent of South Africa's GDP. And that's low when we look at other countries like the US or the UK, where franchise retail sales in the UK 
UK is about 30%, in the US about 50%. And we just see that it's, you know, much more developed in other countries in terms of the number of franchises and the number of organizations actually replicating through franchising. But having said that, we don't have to stand back in terms of the quality of our franchise brands. If you look at a brand like Nando's, they started here and now they're an institution in a country like England. So we have good brands, but there's still room to grow and to to contribute to the economy. Anita, could you share some pearls of wisdom in terms of what advice you would give to somebody who's looking to invest in a franchise? So it's very important to do your homework because it's very likely that you're going to invest your life savings into this. And there's lots of places where you can get information. Um, There's the Franchise Association of South Africa. You can go online onto websites like whichfranchise.co.za to just look for information on how to assess a franchise, what kind of opportunities are out there. And very importantly, the law is on your side. So the Consumer Protection Act has a section that refers specifically to franchising. And it is actually law that somebody that offers a franchise opportunity needs to give the potential franchisee what we call a disclosure document. Now, this is like a prospectus, but it's actually a legal document and it contains all the information about the franchise, or it should. It should state who the owners are, um, how the company is structured, what the history is, um, if, they, if they have any legal battles going on at the moment. Importantly, if they've had if any store closures and where these closures were, and very importantly, a list of the existing franchises out there of the brand and their contact details so that you can contact existing franchisees. And I would urge somebody to do that. If you're looking to invest in a franchise, don't do it without speaking to franchisees of the network to get the real story. So in summary, do your homework and get information. Absolutely, information is empowering in in this sense. And as I said, you're going to invest a lot of money. And having said that, you know, I often see that people invest a lot of money, in fact, all their life savings. And then when times are tough, um, things can go a bit south, you know, and that's why I also believe that you need to have some buffer capital available or at least apply for an overdraft at the outset so that you just have room to move if things are a bit tough. Anita, if somebody's looking to buy a franchise, what would you say the process, the steps they should be taking um, in their homework stage? So in the homework stage, you have to think about what it is that you actually want to do. Where is your passion? Um, Because effectively, you're almost buying a job. So this is what you're going to be doing for a living. So I would start by looking at different industries and saying, you know, do I want to get into this industry? And I have to say as a side note that there is this perception that franchising is always about food. And in fact, fast food and restaurants are only 25% of the market, according to the Franchise Association research. There are other categories like automotive brands, um, health and beauty. Retail is also a big chunk. So 
you first have to look at it and say, does this work for my lifestyle? You know, if you're going into a food outlet, you have to realize that these days, those are 24-7, quite literally. Um, a McDonald's restaurant is open 24 hours. So you have to research that and find out what, what are the working conditions and, and am I happy with that? Once you've narrowed it down to an industry, you can then start researching the brands. Um, going online, like I said earlier, there are portals available that you can search franchise opportunities and find out what they're all about and how you should approach the franchise or what kind of questions should you be asking. Then once you've narrowed it down to a few brands that you're interested in, it's almost like applying for a job. You have to look for a few brands because it's not to say that you're going to be successful in one application. So I would approach a few brands and go through their application process, which you should be able to find on their website. And that would most likely entail, first of all, submitting an inquiry and then waiting for that response and then following the franchisor's process from there because they might require you to do psychometric assessments. They might require you to come in for an interview. There would be various steps that the franchisor would outline for you. Perhaps you could expand on those steps because it seems like like you say, it's applying for a job. There are a whole lot of potential parties who are vying for the same job that you might be going for. And I would assume in franchising, there would be other interested parties also looking to buy franchises. And, you know, being the competitors, millennials, for example, you want to stand out and you want to be able to um, be successful in your in your quest once you've chosen a brand. How do you do that? So absolutely, I think it's a good to make a f good first impression. So in all your communication with the franchisor, it's important to be professional. If they send you a form to fill out, you know, do it properly. Um, that's the first thing that franchisors will do. If they get an incomplete form, they will discard their application if they are inundated with a lot of applications. And I have to say that the good brands are inundated with a lot of applications. So make sure that you stand out by being professional and providing all the information that is required and be honest about your standing, you know, because obviously you need to have access to capital. That is just one of those things. And therefore, you've got to be honest about the funds that you have available to invest in the franchise. Are there other barriers to entry? You say capital, uh, you mustn't go for a franchise that's too expensive and you, you won't be able to fund it. Are there, are there other barriers to entry for a franchisee? So, as I said earlier, all the popular brands are inundated with applications. And in fact, some brands look mostly internal um, at their existing franchisee base when they expand. And one such an example is KFC. Um, you know, traditionally, I have to say, they have been focused mostly on their existing franchisees to open um, new stores for them. That might change over the years, but it certainly makes it very difficult. Another aspect to consider in such a an established brand such as KFC is the fact that they have over 600 outlets nationwide. So the potential to open additional outlets is much smaller as opposed to when you join a newer, younger franchise that still has to reach saturation nationally. 
If some of our listeners are considering expanding their own businesses on a franchise basis, so they're looking to become a franchisor, are there barriers to entry in terms of becoming a franchisor that you can share with us? Absolutely. Initially, franchising your business is quite capital intensive. Um, You know, you have to do, obviously, your own feasibility studies and research to make sure that this is actually something that is suitable for the business. And you have to also, you know, spend money on legal fees, getting the contracts and all of those things in place. But then, you know, it takes a while before you start making money as a franchisor because franchising works on a multiplying effect. So only when you have about 20 to 30 franchisees starting to pay royalties, do you really see some profitability as a franchisor? Initially, you're going to be investing in infrastructure and additional people and consulting and research and all these things to get franchise ready and to then assist the first 10 to 20 franchisees in becoming successful. So that's the first element is the fact that it is really um, capital intensive initially. The other aspect that people don't realize is that when you launch a franchise and you are not a well-known brand, it's not so easy to get franchisees. Yes, franchisees are lining up for brands like Mug and Bean and KFC and all these, but when they don't know you, it it takes a bit of convincing and, and therefore it is not so easy to get to that first 10 franchisees. But I've seen that brands, once they've sort of past the 10 outlet mark, they really start gaining some traction, especially if they expand in a a cluster, you know, basically taking a province like Gauteng and really maximizing that before they go to other regions, because then they get critical mass and consumer acceptance. And these things contribute to the success of a brand to then start becoming well-known and and showing that, that it can be a lucrative franchise. Are there any warning signs that kind of if you see these run a mile? (laughs) Well, people think it's a success indicator, but I'm actually very wary of brands that open too quickly. So if you see a brand that is opening 30, 40 stores in one year, I would be very careful of that, especially if they are not as well known and especially if they don't have the infrastructure to support it. I mean, if we look at a company like Famous Brands, they're well-developed, they're a listed company, they've got infrastructure, so they can afford to put people on the ground to support store openings. But if it's a single franchise brand opening 30, 40 outlets a year, I'd be very careful of that. Anita, there's so many young people, even graduates, that are, are looking for employment. What advice could you give to them if they see that franchising is something that they should be looking at and that there are opportunities in? So if you identify a franchise that you would really like to be part of, but let's say that you don't have the capital to get into it right away, one opportunity would be to go and work for that franchise and get real experience on the ground of how it works. Um, You know, you might be promoted through the network, um, so that's one career path. But what we're seeing more and more is that franchisors are also looking to promote from within. So they would rather have a franchisee that understands the system 
and how things work in their company. And for them to also achieve their goals of transformation, they often enter into joint venture arrangements with employees. So that is one way to start out if, if you don't have a lot of capital available, but you really have the dream of owning your own business. And are there particular categories of franchising or industries that have got lower capital costs? And um, you mentioned earlier, but that funding is a potential barrier. Yeah, so if you look for low cost of entry franchising, um, you know, there are sectors that just are more affordable because of the way they're structured. For example, in education, you know, we see a lot of uh kiddies kind of education concepts where they offer um, activities for kids at various ages or additional lessons and things like that. And because you don't need a lot of infrastructure for that, the franchises in that sector are usually quite affordable. Also, there's the emergence of mobile concepts. And we've been saying for years that we believe that that is where it's at in terms of job creation and creating small businesses that are sustainable. So service-based businesses, uh, things like a painter on the move or um, you know food trucks and all of these kind of things, automotive servicing that happens on site at a consumer's premises. So these kind of concepts can be developed rather cost effectively and also then give us a lower cost of entry. Anita, your suggestions are fabulous and I certainly hope our listeners are going to take notes and follow up on them. Thank you so very much for sharing your pearls of wisdom on franchising. Thanks so much, Bendito. We had fun. This podcast was brought to you by NetBank. Stay tuned for more on franchising or search NetBank Franchising for valuable information. See money differently. NetBank.